0: Hey, everybody. Before we get started, I just wanted to jump on because we are so excited to announce that Restore Registration is officially open. We can't wait to be with you again this year. It's going to be on September 5th through 7th at the Mountain America Expo Center in Sandy, Utah. That's the evening of September 5th and then all day on the 6th and the 7th. Three days of incredible speakers, poets, musicians, and artists. We really think that what we have planned will blow you away again this year, so you won't want to miss it. Go to faithmatters.org restore for tickets, and we'll see you there. Hey everybody, this is Aubrey Chavez from Faith Matters. For today's episode, we were lucky enough to speak with John Ogden, who's one of the founders of Uplift Kids, which is a program that integrates both ancient wisdom and modern science to help parents build values in their home. We'll explain more about Uplift once the conversation starts, but we really think it's a fascinating and important effort. In two of the most popular episodes that we've ever released, number 85 and 86, Michael Wilcox joined us to talk about God's many voices, how God has communicated through many different people all throughout time and space. And one of the things that we loved most about Uplift is that it pulls in so many of those voices in a way that's really digestible for both kids and and adults. To give you just a little bit more about John, he earned an undergraduate degree in literature and a master's in writing with an emphasis on research and ethics. And John has worked as a university instructor, instructional designer, and a writer. He's coupled that work with a decades-long study of the world's wisdom traditions. He co-created Uplift Kids along with Amanda Suarez, Drew Hansen, and Michelle Larson. Thanks so much as always for listening. We really hope that you enjoy this conversation with John Ogden. All right, John Ogden, we're so excited to have you in the studio. Thank you so much for making some time to be with us. Thanks for having me. We, Tim and I, are our whole family, we're huge fans of Uplift, and we've been wanting to talk about this for a long time, so this is going to be really fun. Um, our listeners will have heard about you and a little bit about the project, but I wonder if you could just tell us more about who this project was intended for and, and kind of how it came to be.
1: Sure. Uplift is intended for parents who have gone through a faith shift or a faith expansion, and they're looking for a way to teach their kid values. And so there could be values such as kindness, compassion, uh, forgiveness, in addition to emotional intelligence and emotional health, and then timeless wisdom practices such as meditation and expressing gratitude and those kinds of things. And so Uplift came about because a group of us participated in uh, something from Lower Light School of Wisdom, which Thomas McConkie runs. We participated in this nine-month course called Spectra. And over the course of the course, uh, we <laughs> uh, started asking this question of what about kids? So there are gr- groups that exist to help grown-ups with spirituality, spiritual development both inside and outside of religion. And yet, as far as we could see, there aren't many that help with kids. And so we started asking, what would it look like to create something that can help families who want some way to teach their kids values and spirituality, um, but might be wrestling with some faith issues. And out of that grew Uplift.
2: So. That's awesome. So it's really so cool. Um, yeah, we and like we've been we've been doing it with our kids, and it just feels like this the types of conversations that Aubrey and I have had. We've been wanting to loop our kids in with them, and it's been hard until we've been able to use this curriculum that you guys have put together. And it's just been so so useful. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Maybe we should frame like kind of what a lesson looks like. So yeah. For someone who hasn't seen ha- hasn't got on or, or, or seen the website, um, so you have a. H- i was gonna say a handful but they're actually i mean how many lessons now you've got to have nearly 80 okay i was gonna say close to 100 yeah yeah and and they're short little lessons um that are what what i love about it is that there you have multiple um multiple ideas for different developmental stages so there's like there's there's curriculum for little kids and big kids and and then there's always something for adults at the beginning that you can kind of do your homework before you start a lesson mm-hmm. and and they're like, there's just such a solid list of resources. And then this lesson can kind of turn into just like a quick, like we use it for family home evening. And and it's just like a quick little lesson, as long as you want it to be the kind of like can guide a discussion. And um, I should be letting you explain maybe what it is. But that's <laughs> great. But, but that's kind <laughs> of what Uplift is. It's just a like collection mm-hmm. of like values-based lessons that pulls in science and with some traditions from around the world and just and kind of distills it into something that is so digestible for our four-year-old and and also like useful for us and for our 13-year-old like it just mm. feels like such an awesome way to have really really like productive conversations as a family around values that are super important that I don't necessarily I don't feel like an expert in and it, it just feels like a way to make it to make it teachable without being an expert. Like you don't have to be an expert in all of these wisdom traditions to actually like use them. So that anyway, I want to yeah. just plug that in. Like this is what this no, is what we're sure. talking about.
2: And so I guess the question that I was that I was going to get to is that one of the sort of foundational principles that you talk about within throughout the curriculum is is finding one's inner compass, both mm-hmm. parents and and children. Mm-hmm. Um and that's something that maybe I feel like at least when I when I was growing up, I didn't necessarily, I, I, it was more focused on external compasses, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so I'm finding it really valuable for me, but also like finding words to teach my kids about that. So I'm, I'm curious, uh, sort of two questions. Like what, what, is, what, what is the reason for the focus on the inner compasses you guys have? And it just culturally, you know, in religions generally, um, in the Latter day Saint tradition, in, uh, you know, political culture, like, why like what are some of the impediments that you see to people developing an inner compass
1: noise yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah life is really noisy and it's also frenetic and it's pacing and so just seeking stillness mm. and times for contemplation and then also just opening up to something greater than ourselves. We can kind of get caught up in our task lists and being able to ask the question, is this really what my life is about? Mm -hmm. Is this really what my life should be about? And just being honest with the answer to that question, I think can really help us find and align ourselves to our inner compass. Um, Because life is so busy, we often don't even think about it yeah just one thing after another and we might be barreling down a path that we actually shouldn't be barreling down and so by coming to stillness we can kind of tune back in you know and try to hear um, the still small voice so yeah so that traditional metaphor
2: yeah i'm i'm curious about that a little bit um obviously from a Latter Day Saint perspective, intercompass and like you say, still a small voice may be totally synonymous. But I'm I'm curious for somebody that's sort of dived deep, you know, creating this curriculum on different wisdom and faith traditions around the world. Mm-hmm. Like, what is the intercom? Is the intercompass more like? Is it traditionally more focused on like the self and like getting somehow into your own into your own heart, or is it a is it explicitly in, from most traditions' perspective a connection to the divine in some way?
1: Uh, I. I think we picked up that term by a book that we all read called The Spiritual Child. And it's by a professor of psychology at Columbia University. And her name is Lisa Miller. Yes. It's a fantastic book. I recommend it to anybody who's interested in this topic. She talks about inner compass. And she comes from a Jewish background. And um, so I don't know exactly how that metaphor is used in every instance. But I do think that, well, I should say, um, in, in the way that she uses it, she does talk about a connection to the divine. And so I think it fits well with that. If somebody is a complete non-believer and they don't believe in external divine, um, I still think the metaphor works very well. Like just tuning into their inner sense of like their conscience, their Mm -hmm. inner knowing, their heart knowing is another term that Lisa Miller uses. And I think that you can use that metaphor regardless of what your specific belief is. And so that's why we chose inner compass is because of its uh, flexibility and its expansiveness. Um, But certainly it can fit very well with an idea of inner compass being aligned with God, being aligned with the divine. Whatever it might be, you know, whatever whatever language uh, one might use, there's a there's a power in um, practices that help you align with your inner compass.
0: Yeah. And mm-hmm. I love how in the, in the lessons that you really facilitate moments for reflection like that or meditation, a lot of the lessons have a, have a, a still moment where you all are going to contemplate a question or just be, be still and quiet and not necessarily like have a discussion for a minute, I it, which does not come naturally to me. So I really mm-hmm. like that, that it kind of paces you. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember if it was in the intercompass lesson, I think it might've been, but there was a prompt where um, I think the goal was to sort of brainstorm, like when you have these the The term I'm remembering is um, temporary blissful centering, mm-hmm. which we named yes. as feeling the spirit, you know, and, oh, so good. and yeah. yeah. And it was so <laughs> interesting. Like our, our, I remember 11 year old, he said, well, he said, he goes, I don't feel the spirit at church. I feel the spirit when I'm totally alone in my room. And I know that about him, you mm. know, but I had never put language to it. I I think I had always recognized that he's sort of an introvert and like, he doesn't want to be in a crowded space mm. ever. Like that, that is really draining for him. And it was so amazing to like have this moment where I realized like it's not just that that's his preference. Like his soul needs that. And I was so happy that like at 11, he could put words to that and realize mm. that like for his own connection to God, he needs to be alone. And and I need to go to church and be with people, my neighbors. Like that's just, mm-hmm. that is how I connect. But it's different for him. And it, it was like, it was just one of those it was a really like a special moment. Like I felt like I, I could see him, you know, in a, in a real way that I hadn't really seen him before. And it felt like it felt really important for me to understand him that way as, you know, as his mom. So I was grateful for that, for that lesson. Like that felt like such a really good, a really good starting place for all of the uplift lessons. And you have, um, so that's in this section called foundations. There are, There are seven lessons that are foundational mm-hmm. and intercompass is number one but I wonder if we could just go through a couple more of these because um I thought it it was such an interesting list and I would have loved to be in the room where you were deciding which which things made it into foundations and which made it into another list of values so um lineage is another one that comes up as a foundation and mm-hmm. i I love that one I think that's something we really value in our culture but could you just talk about how that why you felt like that was such an important foundational value
1: yeah. Um, I'll first say that I was really touched by the story that you shared. Thanks for sharing okay.
0: that. Yeah, well, thank you. It, it was That was really important for our, our family, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, lineage excites me now more than ever, which is um, uh, surprising to me. Like I just feel more and more uh, desire to know my family history mm-hmm. and to know all the stories that I can find um, and even go beyond my mormon heritage and know their stories too and um part of it comes because i've read a a series of studies that talk about how it's good for your children's well-being to know where they come from Mm -hmm. and so one study in particular they asked like these i would say it's about 20 questions to kids and they asked stories about their family history and they found that the kids who knew the answers to their questions had higher well-being and so it's just like from a purely logical <laughs> viewpoint, I want my kids to know these stories. Um, and there's also something that is spiritually powerful about connection to the past. And I feel like often in secular culture, we're so fixated on the now uh, in, again, that day-to-day busy kind of way that we don't really connect deeply through through our roots. Uh, there's kind of a dismissiveness in um, a secular mindset that can be like, oh, those those ancient fools from the past, they didn't know anything, right. but now we're so enlightened, <laughs> we know everything, right? Uh, and so it's kind of like a, an integrating. It's like, oh, there's wisdom from the past, and there's wisdom from my family history, and there are things that I can learn from my parents, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, and so on. And so it's really important for me to know their stories. Um, one quote that uh, that uh, you you put here was from Elaine Reese, yeah, uh, and we have this on our site. It says that adolescents with a stronger knowledge of family history have more robust identities, better coping skills, and far and lower rates of depression and anxiety. So that's actually a different researcher than the other one that I cited. So it's like it's been verified mm-hmm. multiple times that this is this is really good, and so it's a key part of uplift because. No matter who you are, you come from somewhere and you already have these stories if mm-hmm. you dig for them, right? And so you could come from any tradition, any religious tradition or non-tradition. And the consistent thing is you have family stories. Yeah. <laughs> and so there's power in this unifying approach to spirituality. And it's, it's interesting paradox because every single family has totally different stories and so, in some sense, you're completely <laughs> isolated, right, in your stories. And yet, um, you all have the stories in common. And so, there's a lot of power in, in just owning those stories and really treasuring those stories as a family. I love that. I
0: love that too, because I think, um, you know, when we have family history lessons, in church, I think at least the way I hear it a lot of times is like I feel a lot of guilt. Like they need me and I need to do these things and that's mm-hmm. my connection to the past. And I really liked that I feel like it it sort of sanitized that message in a way that it feels really good to me, that that mm-hmm. I need them and like having that connection is good for is is good for my family. Like I I could feel like that that message feels really powerful. And mm-hmm. something we started doing after we talked about this is um on the birthdays of our, so I, I think I felt more connected with ancestors, you know, generations back. We talked about six generations back and handcart pioneers. And I, that, that is a strength that I'm familiar with and I, I really value. But, um, we, I feel like we've really started to emphasize a connection to a more recent past and, you know, just a single generation even ahead that has passed away. And we've started celebrating their birthdays with something very small that like reminds us of that mm. person. And I've just, I've been really surprised how present that makes them feel mm. in our family still like I really love that it feels something unique to our family and 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 special like it really created a feeling of connection out of nothing like out of nowhere it just suddenly there was like real connection there so
2: and it, yeah and it does seem to me like at the same time that this is something that you could celebrate in in the latter-day saint tradition mm-hmm. that this is you know it's potentially yeah. something we do really well just the yeah. fact that we're yeah that we're talking about it maybe more yeah. than anybody else. I mean, you've yeah. got mm-hmm. Family Search and Ancestry that, I mean, obviously yeah. Ancestry is a corporation, it's but it's sort yeah. of like came out of the tradition. It's yeah. like worldwide people are flocking to these tools to help because they're feeling, I think the same thing, which is like a desire to connect to their family, their, to their family stories. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's something really, you know, potentially that we've done really, that's really cool. Yeah. That's so true. Um,
0: I want to go through like literally all of them. Yeah. We probably don't have time, but will you talk about polarities? Cause that, that felt yeah. like kind of a new one to me that I, I think about often now. This is another one of the foundations. This is, sorry, this yeah. is another one of the seven foundations. Uh-huh. Yeah,
1: Yeah. this one excites me very much as well. It's the idea that, as we talk about it, any virtue held too tightly becomes a vice. <laughs> so if you um, hold, let's see, courage too tightly, this is something that actually Aristotle wrote about in, in his works on ethics. Uh, courage held too tightly becomes recklessness. And that can lead to negative consequences in your life. But um, the opposite is caution. And caution held too tightly leads to paralysis. And so polarities are about holding two poles together so that you can recognize that it's not enough just to learn one virtue in isolation and kind of like grip to that really tightly because you can delude yourself. You're thinking, well, I'm I'm cautious. I'm just cautious, you know, and it's like uh-huh. yes, and <laughs> that caution is causing you paralysis right. in your life such that you're not actually risking anything and you're not actually growing, right? right? And so this idea is that um if you can know these various polarities, you can ask yourself, um how am I holding this virtue? <laughs> Am I too in love with it? Like, am I too comfortable with it? Such that I'm actually preventing my growth by holding it so tightly. And I go out and I say, like, look how, look how cautious I am again. Uh, it's like, okay, yeah, good. And you recognize that there's actually value in listening to the opposite pole. And if you can really listen to the opposite pole and hear the interchange then um, you can transcend and include. Now, this is a practice that we uh, did quite a bit in lower lights, and and Thomas does quite a bit, the integral polarity practice. And so it's about listening to the different parts of yourself. And so courage shows up as a voice. Caution shows up as a voice in you. They're in all of us. Uh, and we can listen to the voice of caution and we can listen to the voice of courage and we can see what what gifts they bring to the self. Mm-hmm. And then we can learn to have them dialogue and and live in harmony uh, with with various polarities. So sometimes the language is a bit esoteric and, and strange. Polarity is kind of a strange word, uh, but there's so much power in it uh, because it can really um bring a sense of humility to life uh to keep yourself in check um and to kind of realize like oh i've i've been thinking that i'm really good in all these ways but i haven't actually been listening carefully enough to the opposite pole and i would actually have more virtue in my life if i had listened to both poles together mm-hmm.
2: that's interesting yeah are there certain polarities that you feel like show up very commonly? So Again, since this is uh, sort of a, you know, Latter-day Saint-focused podcast, that you feel like show up in the tradition um, really as, you know, potential vices? Like, one that occurs to me potentially could be obedience. Like, do we hold too tightly to obedience sometimes? And if we do, what what's the vice that grows out of that?
1: Uh, the devices that you, you eclipse uh your inner compass. That's not that's the two yeah. different metaphors that I'm mixing there. Uh, you like <laughs> I got we got you. <laughs> yeah. You actually stifle the the still small voice. Yeah. Um by by saying like, okay, I, you know, you might have the inc- intonations of uh the spirit speaking to you, and you stifle it because you say, no, no, I am I'm supposed to listen to my logical mm-hmm. self, which says I need to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and you ultimately end up not listening to the spirit, which isn't to say that the spirit would say something that is like um, the opposite of goodness. Certainly, you know, that's not, that's not to say that at all, but you just might say the way it looks for you is this, right? It's like, no, it can't look like that, right? you know? you right know, and that rules one. that have That's been a- laid
2: out in advance just can't cover every every scenario exactly, uh-huh. individuality. Yeah,
1: exactly. Right. Yeah, and that is why we lead with inner compass, uh, because it's like, here here are all these values and virtues, and here are different ways to look at the values and virtues, like via polarities, and another one of our foundations is strengths. Uh, you might have your particular set of strengths in your life that make you unique, uh, and. After going through all of these things, if your inner compass says no, listen to your inner compass yeah. yeah right that that's the that's the the ground of all being, right yeah, um and so that's why we lead with that one yeah, totally that i mean this so is something
2: sense. i mean this this whole idea of polarities i think shows up uh very often in one's own one's own talents. Right. It's mm-hmm. like for, for me in particular, yeah. as somebody that has the, <laughs> yeah. uh, we have talked about this on the podcast, but suffers from OCD. Mm-hmm. It's like my sort of perfectionistic tendencies have led to a lot of good in my life, but mm-hmm. they, but taken overboard, which they have been for significant periods, you know, it turns into scrupulosity, mm-hmm. which it, it has negative effects not only on you, but on everyone around you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's just, it's just so true. I think it, yeah. it, it, re- it really resonates.
0: This came up really this week, actually, I used, um, the conflict lesson in mm. the in Come follow me. The story was about Abraham and lot and how they divide mm. the land. And Abraham says, you take one side and I'll take the other. And, and so I was like, you know, I want to talk about conflict because I would have heard this lesson as a kid. And, and what I would have absorbed is that being a peacemaker Mm -hmm. is always the right answer. Mm -hmm. Like that was the polarity I was, I I was most in love with, you know, and, and really held on to that so tight. And, and what you talk about in the conflict lesson is that we have all these options and tendencies toward maybe we, we fight or we flee or Mm -hmm. we freeze. And Mm -hmm. I was a freezer, you know? And so I could hear that Abraham story and say, what freezing looks like is Abraham saying what? take all the land. Like take I can see you want the land. Like take the land and mm-hmm. I don't need anything. And and it was really yep. it was really helpful to have this framework of polarity and, and say like I can be a peacemaker and face this conflict in mm-hmm. a really healthy way and say like I have a need and you have a need and like let's compromise. And that is what looking that's what a peacemaker can mean to me now. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean being a doormat. Mm-hmm. And that was I, I think just having this idea always in the back of your mind that you're looking for polarities kind of keeps you out of that danger zone of becoming like so entrenched in one value that it actually becomes detrimental. Mm-hmm. So came up again this week.
1: Yeah. Great example. So <laughs>
0: still, uh, still hard. Mm-hmm. Still hard. But like yes. that, but it's really, it's <laughs> so useful. It's just so yeah. useful to like have these tools kind of, because it comes up every day. Like every day you have opportunities to kind of see how this is playing out in in your regular life.
2: Yeah. I, let, let's talk really briefly maybe about something that people might see as a, as a, polarity i guess to reuse that term in a different way you guys talk about how you um you integrate the best of science and and ancient wisdom Uh um i think from at a very surface level it could appear uh at least to somebody that's coming at it from one side or the other those two could be in conflict Mm -hmm. especially if you you know if you sort of uh put ancient wisdom and religious faith in sort of the same box. Like there's this age old Mm -hmm. perceived conflict at the very least between, Mm -hmm. between those two things. So how do you guys, how do you guys approach that?
1: Uh, It's a big question and a hard one to answer. Uh, One example that I look toward is Martin Luther King Jr. And when he was in college, he had a faith crisis and he kind of, initially was very rattled by it. Uh, And he talks about that, the things that he'd learned in Sunday school, it didn't quite align with his his then worldview. Uh, and then he also talks about how he came to see the power that was in the Bible and like the, uh, I'll use the, the words poetic power. Uh, I can't remember the exact phrases that he uses right now. Um, he became a, a minister uh, even after his faith crisis. And you can see the religious language all throughout his sermons and his speeches. And so he, uh, he took on the role uh, within his own tradition and stayed within his own tradition. And yet uh, his view didn't conflict with the scientific understanding of biblical events. And he writes about that. Uh, he did his uh, PhD dissertation on, on things like this. And mm-hmm. so he had a very nuanced view Um, and that's the kind of the approach that we take, uh, wisdom traditions arise in their particular cultural context and science arose in a particular cultural context and they both have value and they both are valid. They're not, they're not always, what tends to happen is that, um, we want, people will want, uh, faith and religion to be valid in the same view in the same playing field that science is in yes and it's like okay but it's valid but don't put it on that playing field because it's not meant to be on that playing field and then the same with um science can can kind of um sometimes want to play in the field of uh faith and it's like no that's actually a different playing field yeah and so as long as our approach is to say that they're both valid um, but they use different lenses and they use different methods of being valid. And so that's how we hold them together.
2: Yeah, so those playing fields, are you getting it sort of like a head knowing and rationality versus heart knowing or what, yeah. what are the playing fields? Yeah,
1: that's one way to look at it okay. is uh, head knowing would be, uh, I can analyze it and put it to logical scrutiny. You know, is it logically consistent uh, and really approach it that way. And I can do... Uh, tests in the material world on this thing over and over. And so it becomes an it out there that I can experiment on. Um, Faith would be more internal at the, at the level of like heart knowing. And um, it can also be intersubjective where it's about goodness, Mm -hmm. where it's like, I feel hurt when this happens and you say you feel hurt when that happens Therefore, let's uh, work together to to a common good. Um, so, faith is more in the in the realm of I and we, and science is more in the realm of it. Mm.
0: Something I really love from your book, When Mormons Doubt, you, you kind of explore this idea even more that, um, you kind of go through this triad, this, that there's truth, there's beauty, and there's goodness. And when we emphasize one heavily over the other, we run into problems. So if you really emphasize truth, then you, you may find yourself being really cynical. Mm -hmm. If you're not, if you're looking at cold hard facts, as opposed to cold hard facts and something and what's beautiful. And, and on the other hand, if you're only looking for goodness and you're totally detached from the truth and you may find yourself really misguided or, you know, doing something that would actually could actually also be detrimental. So, so can you talk about that balance? Like what, what, what is the, I, I think that's, it's hard. I think maybe um people get, or, and I, and I know I've done this too, that I'll find myself sort of Feeling pulled to one or the other. And and I want to, it feels more comfortable to convince myself that one is more important than the others, mm-hmm. <laughs> because that's, there's less tension there, you know, like if I can decide on which one's more important, most important, then I can feel really solid about all of my decisions. So, mm-hmm. so can you just talk about finding balance there? I especially love, you know, you really pull in all of these, these holy books from lots of wisdom traditions. And I appreciated that it was it was more important to just like look for the goodness and the beauty in those cases. And and you weren't necessarily diving into the origin story of each holy book and like why it deserves to have attention. Mm -hmm. And so I could feel that like, there was definitely some sort of balancing act going on because in the same lesson, then you're pulling in psychology and, and, and something that is very like tangible and testable. Mm -hmm. So, so talk about just like that, the balance of that triad.
1: It's hard to find the right balance. Uh, it seems like any path that you go down, there's this, there's this sense that you want to just only rely on that. And so it's like, <laughs> yeah. uh, truth become like the scientific inquiry, uh, becomes so powerful because you see it work over and over again. And it's like, oh, let's just rely on that. Yeah. You know, I'm just so tired of not having ground that I just want to rely on that only. And then, uh, what can happen is that your life feels, uh, kind of empty. You start to sense this void where it's like, oh, if, all there is is material, and I'm just material, and that's it. Like, what <laughs> you know, you start to get into this nihilistic viewpoint, and so people will say, "Well, I'm just going to turn to consumerism, and that's going to kind of like numb that that pain I feel from the void, and it never quite succeeds uh, <laughs> at doing that." And so uh, there's this longing that can occur where it's like, "Well, I'm looking for the transcendent." and and the divine and uh something connect to connect me beyond myself uh, whether it is whether it's god or nature or it is to each other and so um it kind of goes back to listening to where you are on the journey and being honest like uh, i'm mm-hmm. i'm getting too fixated on um on uh truth claims if that's the case. And my life is kind of miserable Mm -hmm. and I could boast that I found out all the truth claims in the world. And it's not necessarily something that would make another person envious because they're like, okay, well, you seem kind of miserable, but good job on that. Right. It's like, okay. Um, and then, and to put the other side of the coin is like, uh, just completely closing yourself off. Somebody says, somebody comes to you and they say, Hey, I've I've noticed that there are some there's some really <laughs> tense things for me in the history of the church so yeah. um and to just say like well I don't want to talk about that because that um that's <laughs> not what we're supposed to be talking about right it's like right. this nervousness that you just shut somebody down well I I can speak from firsthand experience that is immensely painful yeah. to have encountered on the other side and uh People, somebody who does that might think like they're doing it for a good cause or because they want to be aligned with uh, God, mm-hmm. uh, but they're inflicting harm. Yeah, in in doing that.
0: Yeah, and uh, and there's so much fear there too. You know, mm-hmm. personally, I think yeah. that I think when that's the reaction, it's really it's very fear based. You know, so it's I think it's it's yeah. mutually harmful, right? Yeah. So what about the what about beauty? Because I, what happens when you? When you are feeling yourself, you know, set truth aside and set goodness aside and you're just noticing like what's wonderful, like what, how can that be, how can that be out of balance? Like, what does that look like when it is out of balance?
1: Um, beauty without truth, um, can be gullible. And so this can happen in, um, I'm trying to think of how to say it as <laughs> kindly as possible. Like it can happen in certain new age circles, yes, where people start believing in things that have been um, falsified already. They've been through the scientific process over and over and over, and people grab onto it still, and uh, that can lead to uh, falling for um, somebody who is a spiritual leader who ends up becoming very malicious and and yeah. very destructive in their lives. And they can be led into it uh, for thinking that they're finding beauty. And uh, um, for right or wrong, I've I've dove into uh, every story of um, cults we that were, I can oh, find. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like,
2: oh, so we share an obsession with cult documentaries <laughs> <Okay>. is what <laughs> yeah. you're saying. Yes.
1: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, there's a new one? Okay, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> it's <was> funny. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean the, the interviews
2: with these with these people that get involved, it is yeah. it does seem like there is this focus on beauty. It's just like yes. everything is great. They're almost in a yeah. sa- state of perpetual. And it is zen, great. It is know? beautiful. Yeah. Like there's is is. for a while yeah. Yeah. until it's until it's not. Yeah. You know, because of the absence of truth. Yep. Yeah. yeah, exactly.
1: That's so interesting. Yeah. So it can be incredibly destructive. Uh, but you look, at every single one of these documentaries uh has a moment where they ask, So, uh, was it worth it? And I'd be like, it was so beautiful. Yes. Yeah. And I never felt more alive than when I started going yeah. there. Yes. And so <laughs> that is like-
0: Wow. That's such a-, a And it's the experience. same problem. Yeah. That's just like what that problem looks like. That's yeah. so interesting. Yeah, totally. So when you talk about like being on a different playing field though, like you, that faith is on a different playing field than science, do you not mean that there's a different balance- like should should truth hold as much weight as beauty and goodness when you're when you're on the playing field of of religion and faith?
1: I think it should. Uh, I will say that the word truth is sometimes slippery because there can okay. people will say like my I'm speaking my truth, mm-hmm. and that's a valid that's a valid thing to say. The way that I use it uh, in this context is like scientific. Inquiry, which is kind of a limited view. And I acknowledge that it's like, but I just want to, I just want to okay. footnote that. That's uh, helpful. Yeah. To say like, I'm using it in a certain way that I don't think is valid. And I don't think it's the only way to use the word. Yeah. Um, but in this way of using the word, um, I do think that, that they should be equal. I okay. think that should be, people should be consulting their reason and logic. Like in the case of the of a cult documentary or somebody gets wrapped up in a cult if you if you say hey let's just take a break and go through yeah. these questions and just double check that it's logically consistent yeah you can hopefully wake somebody up to the horrors that might uh come about later yeah um and so yeah don't lose don't lose track of your rational mind okay yeah. so
0: so <laughs> yeah. what is the value then though of of like myth and story because mm-hmm. a lot of these Holy books are are not necessarily making any sort of like historicity truth claim, mm-hmm. and so are, when you say truth, do you are you do you mean more like does is the principle sound like if you do these things we can scientifically say like you're gonna have more pe- inner peace or joy or you know some is is that the truth that you're anchoring to or do you know what I mean like what like it, how is story that's not meant to necessarily be historical still valuable?
1: Uh, there are many reasons why it's so valuable. One is that um there are it reveals something about our psyche as human beings so somebody could say let's not pay attention to the story of genesis because it makes the claim that the world was created in 6 days and therefore it's yeah. it's false right and they could write it off just saying oh it's a nonsense That's a nonsense story because it doesn't fit our scientific model um and i think that would be a mistake because there's a reason why that story came about in the first place like there's some human being uh, wanted to tell the story and it's a story that survived. And yeah. so there's something to be said for that. Yeah. Um, That's not to say that all stories that survive are good because you could ne- you could be like <laughs> yeah. it just it just survived because it was the story that the conqueror held. And therefore, it has validity because the conqueror held it. And it's like eh, it's a little different, but I do think that there is something. If if it has survived, then at least it deserves a a look at. And so, like in the case of Genesis, there's like I, I find it so compelling that there are stories of flawed human beings, mm. and they kept them in their in their text for so you know they oh. it, they went to such length uh, to preserve these stories. And the protagonists aren't always uh, without flaw. Like when when I grew up and I listened to like the story of Esau and Jacob, I was like, okay, Esau's the bad guy and Jacob's the good guy. <laughs> right. right. And it's kind of like re- reductive, reduce everything to bad yeah. guy, good guy. Uh, reading it now, it's like, wow, Jacob. Like the whole story, the story never says like Jacob's the good guy, Esau's the bad guy. Mm-hmm. It says- good point. Jacob- yeah. uh, his brother was starving and Jacob came to his brother in starvation and said, Hey, I'm not gonna give you any food unless you give me your birthright. It's like okay.
2: <laughs> Questionable. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's not necessarily generous. And wow, then and yeah. then it says specifically, like Rebecca her overheard uh Isaac saying that he was gonna give Isaiah the blessing, and she said, Hey, Jacob, go and deceive your father to get the blessing. And so it's like lying yeah, yeah. right out to the father. And so there <laughs> I don't know. I, I I just personally find that um enthralling, I guess. I don't know why I would say it. Yeah. Like there's the uh just the idea that um they're really capturing the full breadth of humanity. These are very complex characters. We want to reduce them to good and bad because that's easier. Mm. Um, but I think it's actually more spiritually powerful and spiritually spiritually nourishing to, to, um, be thrust into a story where you actually don't, you can't simplify it.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Engaging in in your own moral wrestle with the story Uh is more growth inducing perhaps than just like being given an instruction manual. Uh
1: So how am I like Jacob? How am I like Esau? And, and these are different voices inside of me. And so, uh, it's speaking to something different than this is. This is the true history of these people. It may or may not happen. I don't have any say yeah. on the story of Esau and Jacob, um, but that's not the that's not the that's not the important point of the story. Yep. It's like uh, right. what is what is the truth that the story is conveying? Yeah. yeah.
0: Wow, that's so helpful. I love that. Yeah. That's great. Um, maybe we talk about. I, there are so many things I still want to get to. Um, maybe we skip to. There, there's this part when you there's a page on the, on Uplift's website where you, you kind of talk about, um, your approach to all of these lessons. And one of them, in one of them, it says that you, you recognize that relationships, you value relationships over the teaching. Hmm. And I thought that was really important because that is a real tension point. I think in our communities right now, like, are you doing harm by, by like, you know, sacrificing the relationship or by sacrificing the teaching and, and like, that's just it's a hard thing to talk mm-hmm. about and I like that you were very explicit about like all of this should come together to to help your relationships like mm-hmm. that that kind of feels like the litmus test mm-hmm. you know what whatever the value is it should produce better relationships yeah so do you want to just talk about that for a second and 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 maybe address like what it looks like when you when that's flip-flopped when the when you're really um prioritizing the lesson <clears> over the relationship
1: yeah. Uh, so I've been in Sunday school classes where the teacher said, where somebody brings up something that is really intense emotionally. And then the teacher says, well, we need to get through the le- the rest of the lesson. <laughs> <laughs> and they just kind of plow through it. And so the same example of when it doesn't happen, when it's like, hey, you know, we're all feeling this tension, yeah. you know, getting through all the points in the lesson can wait. Like let's sit and and." digest what just happened here in the class and so what we really hope is that somebody who does an uplift up lesson doesn't feel the mentality of having to get through the content mm-hmm. getting through the content isn't isn't the point at all <laughs> right it's not, it's not let's convey this information to our kids and feed it to them yeah. uh it's about having an experience and so uh what that looks like is you start into a lesson and you do the first, We every lesson has an opening activity and then age specific sections and then a closing activity. And then we have a section of keep the conversation going. And so you, let's say that you start with the opening activity and uh, your kid brings up something that is emotionally alive for them or just um, present for them. And it's actually not even related to the topic <laughs> of the lesson, <laughs> but it's what's alive. And yeah. so to have that intuitive sense which honestly I've only developed, uh, from doing mindfulness over these past six years, um, the ability to be like, oh, that, that's where, that's where we're going, <laughs> you know? And wow, so just yeah. sensing into the energy of this, of the lesson and being like, okay, um, let's, let's actually sit with this child and work through it with them. Yeah, And we can come back if we want to, we can come back and keep the conversation going on this topic. But the the, the content isn't the point. Uh, the relationship and the vitality of what is here is the point.
2: Yeah. That's beautiful.
0: That's such a cool way to put it. I remember so long ago, and I brought this up so many times because it really has stayed with me, but I remember Thomas talking about following your energy. And, mm-hmm. and that really, that shift in language really helped me because I think I had for a long time really, it was, I had really mixed like the spirit and anxiousness in general mm. and, and just having a, <laughs> having new yeah. words for what I really still do identify as the spirit as energy mm-hmm. like that really just kind of like opened up these new avenues and it made it w- much easier for me to just recognize that what you're, what you're describing, like the, when the, when the feeling in the room changes and you, and like you said, like you can just feel it that, Oh, that's where we're going now. Mm-hmm. And, and I just, I love um, framing the feeling of the Holy ghost with that language that it, it feels like energy to me that changes. Yeah. And, and I wanted to ask you also, um, something that I've really appreciated is that, you know, when you, when you address a value on these lessons that you, you, you pull in these traditions that I'm less familiar with and I just wondered how you kind of came together and decided to do that because I do feel like it's been really valuable to to read something like the good samaritan and then and then read a story from other traditions that teach that it has the same energy like mm-hmm. it feels just the same it's that same feeling of like openness and and kindness that feels redemptive and there really is something um just so expansive and powerful about hearing the same feeling described in language that's unfamiliar. But I'd love to hear just like how you all decided that that was an important part of Uplift.
1: Yeah, it's a big part of Lower Lights. Oh, really? Yeah. uh, Thomas talks about it as meta lineage. And he did a podcast episode on his podcast, Mindfulness Plus, that uh, spoke to it just a month ago. And it's about um, just recognizing that when you really sit with another faith tradition, not not in a way to like um, tell your beliefs and hear their beliefs and kind of part ways, Mm -hmm. uh, but to really sit with it and and take it seriously as human brothers and sisters, like I'm gonna sit with you and and really embody your faith tradition as much as I can. Um, You start to realize more about your own, and you can appreciate aspects of your own as well, um, even even more fully. And so, um, I've also personally just, for whatever reason, had a long term interest in in world religions. Um, the Bhagavad Gita uh, yeah. is is one favorite. The Tao Te Ching, I try to read uh, once or twice a year. It's very short, um, very powerful. I, I highly recommend it to listeners. Um, the meditations of Marcus Aurelius is another favorite. Um, and just in, in noticing the ways that, uh, different traditions talk about source or the divine or spirit, whatever you might say, uh, you can really get these different flavors and, and actually realize like, uh, different ways that it can show up in your own life. Mm-hmm. And there's just power in, in hearing all the traditions. So a big part of Uplift, this is a, a large undertaking. It's every every step we take in doing this, we realize like, oh, this is bigger <laughs> than we ever thought, mm-hmm. uh, which is that we're creating a wisdom library where we're compiling the wisdom traditions from all, the best of the wisdom traditions from all different traditions. Uh, yeah. And so um, we're interested in collecting them all together in one place and then being able to insert stories, Zen stories, uh, parables of Christ um, um, stories from native American traditions and weave them into lessons. So that's a long-term project where we're going to keep adding to the lessons with these stories and having this wisdom library. And then um, hopefully, I mean a long-term hope and vision that I've had for, is to create, um, a book or books that contain these so that families can say wow. like, Oh, you know, here are the values that we hold. And here, are, here are these, these values are replicated in yeah. all these different traditions and you can feel more at home with all of humanity.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. That would be yeah. such a cool resource. That'd be awesome. Really? Yeah. I feel, I do feel like it really, it magnifies what you, what you maybe maybe it's just become invisible to you because it's so familiar. You know, I think like we we get so used to these stories and we kind of it's like we dig deeper and deeper tracks in in, in our own interpretations. We mm-hmm. just get used to interpreting a story the same way and I've noticed that when we hear a story from outside of our tradition that I can recall times when we when we address it in our own tradition but it just it it kind mm-hmm. of takes on like a new light. Like we we the one we were talking about this week was was considering the lilies like i Mm, to me growing up that story was always about not fighting (laughs) it was like how they grow a toil (laughs) not you know and it was like don't that's why we don't argue and (laughs) and but then we were reading the gita and and there's this really beautiful and explicit package um, passage about disconnect you have to disconnect the fruits from your labor it's yeah. like you cannot expect the fruits because you labor like yeah. you have to be you can you can work and work but it has to be for the work's sake and mm-hmm. you, and and i was like oh, yeah we know yeah i know that i <laughs> yep. know that but like i consider the lilies i think that is also what it means but i just i kind of i think you kind of lose the ability to see it with fresh eyes yeah and so it's been a really beautiful experience to to recognize ways that the the traditions sometimes do affirm each other and affirm yeah. these values that are important to us.
2: Yeah. Well, John, we thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This has been mm-hmm. awesome. I thought maybe yeah. maybe to close, I mean, we've sort of been like um you know, guiding the the discussion so <laughs> far. But we thought maybe we could open it up to you a little bit and just say like is there some story, some concept, something out of uplift that has been particularly fun for you to learn about and teach about and that really resonates with you. Mm.
1: Uh, One concept that is really live for me right now is a concept uh, called spiritual humanism. And so humanism has taken on a a secular idea since like the 1850s. It kind of secularism became a word and Mm -hmm. uh, there was this idea that everything that we need to know could be explained by science. And um, humanism kind of became synonymous with secular humanism over or since that time. Yeah. Um, But there's another aspect called spiritual humanism, another way to view it. And that is that um, we may belong to a faith tradition or not. uh, But we still have, we still have so much in common with people around the world. And an example of this is Fred Rogers, who was Presbyterian minister. And yet he studied various traditions from around the world. And he wove in humanistic principles to his TV show. It wasn't a TV show that was about converting people to Christianity, but it was about a neighborhood, which is a a metaphor that comes from the Christian tradition. And so he was, in my view, a spiritual humanist. Like when I watch his show, I feel... The spirit, and so uh, he is—he's bringing people to that experience, but not in a dogmatic or a fundamentalist sort of way, but through an expansive way. And so I really uh, take his model seriously, and I really love his model. And so there's this concept of spiritual humanism. Uh, another th- concept that has really resonated me with me lately is from Brian McLaren, who. You interviewed on this podcast, his book, Faith After Doubt, is one of the best books I've read recently. And it just, I, I think about it so much since I've read it. And I've read it three times now, one with wow. a group um, that came out of uh, Waters of Mormon Facebook group. And I, I just really love his model where he talks about moving from simplicity to complexity to perplexity to harmony. And I see spiritual humanism as a possible synonym for harmony, which is to mm-hmm. say, are you a non-believer? We still hold place for you. Are you a believer? We hold place for you. Like yeah. it's not about the divide of what you believe so much as it, it's about the divi- it's about uh pursuing this. Uh, spirituality and deep connection with something bigger than yourself to have, to be in pursuit of ultimate meaning and to be able to feel a connection with the all. Right. And so those are some of the concepts that are alive for me. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And they're really at the heart of uplift, which is to say we are really interested in what, stage four community looks like to use brian mclaren's model that's as soon as i read his description toward the end of the book where he talks about how he hopes that religions can uh can carve up off part of their work to help people in stage four and do it in a way that transcends any religion and he also says he he would he says imagine if uh Religious people and non-religious people could band together, and he uses the word, to not to participate in the suicidal economy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to pursue wow. uh, something transcendent. And he says to take, to take um, the best of the wisdom traditions alongside the best of, and he lists a bunch of scientific traditions. And as soon as I read that, I was like, oh, that's, <laughs> that is what we're trying to do here yeah. with Uplift. And so a simple, succinct way to put it is that it's a, an attempt at a stage four organization. And at a stage four organization, I'll say that it, it becomes more uh, democratic and not dogmatic. And mm-hmm. so it's about, hey, we have this idea. Oh, you have this idea? Okay, let's see if we can collaborate on this idea. It's not about any single any single organization winning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not their goal here. It's about... Uh, listening to what's wanting to emerge and being willing to lean into that emergence.
0: Yeah. Wow. Well, thank Love you that. so much. That, that really does feel like you're, that's what you're modeling. And it's been, it's been really fun for us to be able to yeah. sort of participate in our own, in our own way. So.
2: Yeah. Thanks for doing this. And please pass our thanks to your co-founders and everybody mm-hmm. that's involved. Yeah. With yeah. yeah. That's really cool.
0: Thanks so much for listening. We really hope that you enjoyed this conversation with John Ogden. If you're interested in learning more about Uplift Kids, you can go to upliftkids.org. And as always, if Faith Matters content is resonating with you and you get the chance, we would really love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you listen on. We read all of the reviews and it really helps us to get the word out about Faith Matters. so We appreciate the support. Thanks for listening and you can check out more at faithmatters.org.